0: Come on, little camel. <laughs> well, good morning. That will be the first of several different Advent presentations we will have for you. Uh, lots of different age groups involved. At some point, we will stop to thank everyone who's played a role helping us pull together our Advent uh, whether it's Corey Trick and Jennifer Hines for putting together the video, or Kristen Dulcie for putting together all the little pieces, we'll see, or Tish Nazi or, or lots and lots of people have been involved with the little pieces. Um, but it has all been geared towards getting us to Christmas. Now you may have picked up this morning that we've had a little bit of a, a down morning. And it's actually been by design. Because as you step into the Advent season, you'll pick up really quickly The Advent begins with the fact that we start down. We start with a need. We start with a loss. And it's been that way since the very beginning. In fact, we find right in the beginning, right after the fall, Adam and Eve started to wait. The dictionary defines Advent as the arrival of a noble, a person, a thing, or an event. When we celebrate Advent, we start looking for his arrival. We look for the king. And as we're entering into this season, you'll note, as we've been talking about, the pace of life begins to pick up. There are details to cover. There are people coming in from out of town. We're traveling. There are things to decorate. There are gifts to purchase. And we want to call you to slow down, to look for the king, and to notice the coming of the king. Indeed, culture will tell us that this season has nothing to do with Jesus. And by no means am I talking about Starbucks cups or Reese's peanut butter cup trees. That's culture. But it's Christian culture that can get caught up. We can get caught up in the midst of it. Acting like a Martha. Taking care of all these preparations and miss the king. So as a church, we want to gather. We want to call you To not give in to the idea that Advent is about decorating, shopping, wrapping, going to parties, stressing out, or even the giving or receiving of gifts. And in and of themselves, they're not bad, but they're secondary. This season, we want to make Advent the arrival of the king primary. And for the next four weeks, we want to look at Advent this way. In fact, this is how we're going to look at it. We're going to call Advent, Advent is waiting, hoping, preparing and expecting the arrival of Christ it's waiting looking with this eager expectation noting early on that we're waiting for something nobody likes waiting unless you're Elijah or Pierce nobody wants to wait because it requires you to need something that you don't have so we got to start by acknowledging that need We start with a deficit that has to be filled, and we wait for it. We join God's people in waiting for it. And at some point, that wait turns to hope. And we begin to hope for the king. And at some point, that hope ought to turn to preparation. And that preparation to expectation. So that's what we'll spend our next several weeks. Waiting, hoping, preparing, and expecting the arrival of the Christ. Versus the child and then is the returning king. This morning, as we celebrate the season of Advent, we join with God's people throughout the ages who have waited for him. In the book of Genesis, after the fall, when the Lord says to the serpent, you watch that play out right here, my son got really excited. Dad, look at the snake! He's going to get him! And I wish Adam and Eve would have had that forethought. But we see that the Lord said to the serpent that the offspring of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. And since that moment, Adam and Eve have waited. And we have waited. We've waited for the effects of the curse to be reversed. We've waited for our relationship with our Father to be restored. We've waited not to struggle. We've waited not to fear. We've waited not to be anxious. We've waited not to give in. We've waited not to groan. We've waited not to ache. We've waited to finally, finally feel whole. And though the beginning of the wait starts in Genesis, you find it throughout Scripture with God's people. Even in the book of Exodus, God's people had, where God's people had moved to Egypt to find food, and rather than finding what they were hoping to get, they find themselves in slavery. In Exodus 2, 23-25 through 25 says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew... And it's huge for us to lean into that reality that God hears their cry. He hears their groans. That he knew where they were. And yet they waited. They waited longing for the fulfillment. That they would finally be free. And when Israel finally becomes free, you find that in the book of Joshua. Again, they turn their back on God. This time, becoming a different kind of slave. In the book of Judges, 2, 16 through 23, our kids have been studying this, by the way. It says this, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down before them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. When the Lord raised up a judge for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them, and they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways." So we find God's people, whether they're actually in slavery or whether they're free, they tend to choose slavery again. They pursue it again, this time slavery to sin. And in this book we find 12 times God raises up a Redeemer. And 12 times people choose their own way. At the end of the book of Kings we find Israel begging for a king, hoping and praying that God would finally give them a king, that he would be the answer, that he would be their redemption. And again they're carried off into slavery, taken by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. And we find throughout the Old Testament God's people groaning, wailing, crying out, looking for this redeemer. Always thinking that they found it and then finding it falling short. Always hoping always waiting, waiting for redemption. And then something happens. Something truly amazing happened. After they waited some 2,500 years, give or take, everything that they waited for was realized. And he came. In the middle of the night when no one was looking, he came having sent many servants, having sent many messengers, having sent prophets to his people, God finally sends his son. And after all these years of waiting for redemption, years of groaning, years of moaning, years of wailing, years of slavery, and suffering through the consequences of their sin, God sent his son And because of that, we enter into the season of Advent to celebrate that first Advent that God would send his son, that God would look at our need and would meet it. We celebrate that first Advent, and yet we begin to expect the second. So let's lean into the first Advent again. We celebrate the first Advent. As we've noted, Advent means the arrival of a noble, a person, a thing, or an event. So when we celebrate Advent, we start looking for the king. We start looking for the arrival of this noble, this person, this thing, this event. We start longing for it with some expectation. And we remember what the prophet of Isaiah said in Isaiah 53.6. When prophetically he says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone. To his own way. And we find us, we, me, just like the people of old, that we're still prone to choose sin. We're still prone to choose our own way. We still wander off. And we become slaves, not to Assyria or Babylon, but to sin. We're still a people in need. Still a people longing, searching, still a people waiting, still a people groaning. And while we were still far from him, in the midst of our sin, the Son of God was given. John the disciple said it this way in John 1 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Eugene Peterson in the message puts it this way He says, And the Word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. I always loved that picture, that God became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, got close to us, became like us, lived among us. And after his coming, Paul would put it this way in Romans 5, 8, but God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This long-awaited king, full of expectation, chose to die on our behalf. Because he loved us. And he showed it to us in the most magnificent of all ways. Allowing himself to be nailed to a Roman cross in place of me. And in place of you. While we were turning our backs on the king, while we'd wandered away, he died for us. The disciple and close friend of Jesus, Peter, wrote it this way. In 1 Peter two twenty four. He said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. This Advent we celebrated that after more than 2,000 years of waiting for the Messiah, while we had gone astray, that the word became flesh, that he died for us, that he bore our sins in his body, and by his wounds we have been healed. Now I might get a minor objection, that I'm jumping to Easter. But the reality is, is that Jesus Christ came to die on a cross. That his birth forecasted his death. That the purpose of his coming was his dying. And historically, as we consider that first advent, to not take into consideration his death, is to make a huge deal out of a birth that's not near as important without his death. Jesus Christ came to die for us, to atone for our sins, and to repair our relationship with our Father. And for those of us who've looked upon Jesus Christ for our salvation, and I do hope and pray that's all of us, that we've all taken the time, we've submitted our lives to Jesus, We wait for the second advent with eager expectation. Why? Because we know Jesus. We love Jesus. And we long for Him. Because we recognize that though He came once, many of us, most of us, all of us, are still struggling with sin. Are still struggling with our bodies are still moaning, groaning, and wailing. Why? Because we have a hope of salvation, not an actualized salvation. And when he comes, the second coming, it'll all be actualized. And we'll walk with our Father, literally walk with him forever and ever and ever. My kids have this song they like to sing in our house. It gets kind of annoying. They started singing, Happy Birthday to Me, I'm 103. And very variations as much as they can find words that rhyme. So we started talking about that and forecasting heaven into their song. So we came up with, at one point, like, Happy Birthday, I'm in heaven, I'm 107. But then when you step into eternity, you gotta go bigger than that, don't you? It's like, Happy Birthday, We're in heaven, I'm a trillion and seven. Why? Because eternity is forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's what we long for. A time when we don't hurt, don't ache, don't pain, don't strive, don't struggle. We finally find the completion that we've all longed for in our Heavenly Father. So while we celebrate the first advent that was long expected, we wait for the second with eager expectation. Because that first advent announced his salvation, and the second brings it all to consummation. In Romans 8, Paul speaks of the wait for the second advent. If you've been hanging out waiting to know when we're going to open your Bible, here's your turn. Turn with me to Romans 8. If You've got a Red Pew Bible, it's on page 944. We'd love for you to lean into God's word to know that what we're teaching is his word, not our opinion. And that's huge. This is what Paul says about that time period between the first and longing for the second advent. Romans eight eighteen, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When Paul says this, when he says the sufferings of our present time, that is an absolutely pregnant phrase. It speaks to every aspect of every struggle you've got. It speaks to the physical struggles of bodies that are failing. Whether you're old and your body doesn't act like it used to. Or whether you're young and you want to push your body further than you think it can go and it doesn't. You'll find that the second advent will bring healing. And in the moment we find we struggle physically. Why? Because we have bodies that fail. They have not yet been redeemed. And it speaks to the emotional struggles of souls that struggle with sin both committed and afflicted on us. And it speaks to the spiritual struggles of living in a world that is still fallen. Where temptation is ever before us and always abounding. We live in a world where there's physical, emotional, and spiritual struggles. Just to start the list. So when Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. He's talking about all of it. Everything you struggle, strive, or hope for. Pregnant in this phrase, and he puts it this way. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And what Paul says here, and that all the ways that we struggle, all the ways we suffer, all the ways we strive, it will be nothing compared to what is ahead of us. It will be nothing compared to what is ahead of us. It'll be nothing when we walk in his presence, when we behold his glory, so that when you open up your diary, your book, your journal, whatever you write in, whatever it is that owns you today, whatever it is you struggled with this week, whatever has captivated you and you can't let go of, Some billion years from now, when you walk in his presence, you won't even remember. Right now, it feels heavy. It feels huge. It feels like everything. But in his glory, it won't matter an iota. Because you will feel and live in the ultimate fulfillment of the second coming. And that's our great hope as believers. We'll lean more and more and more into that over the next couple of weeks as we move to hoping and hoping for his return and preparing, preparing for his return and expecting it. It will be nothing compared to what is ahead of us. And yet, here we are, waiting, suffering, and struggling and Paul speaks to that reality still in verse 19. He says, The creation waits. Even the creation waits. That's you, that's me, but it's more than that. That's the creation. That's the rocks, the birds, the trees, the moon, all of the stars waiting. Waiting. Why? Because we have a need that's not been met yet and it's coming, but we're waiting for its fulfillment. So why Paul says, for the creation waits with eager longing. According to Paul, we wait with for eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That the whole of creation awaits this redemption that comes when God returns, and when God reveals his sons, when everything he promised comes to fruition. And when all the sufferings described in verse 18 come to an end with eager, eager longing, we wait. We wait for the consummation of his kingdom when we will be with him, when we will walk with him, when all of our suffering ends. And creation itself waits, it waits too, no longer suffering, no longer waiting. To endure the suffering effects of sin. And the passage continues. You think it's just you, he continues on with the creation. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, subjected it. Creation did not choose this for itself, it was subjected to it. Now, whether the hymn in the passage is Adam and Eve willing to fall to sin, or whether it's the Lord using it in his divine plan. Both of which, by the way, are, are arguments for how you interpret this passage. But the reality is it's inconsequential to the argument. That, that creation lies here waiting. And it lies here in this place. It didn't choose much the way you and I sit in this place. We didn't choose. Now we could easily forecast ourselves in the garden and think we wouldn't give in. But you'd be lying. You'd be fooling yourself. Because we've all stood before a cookie jar and said, I'm not eating another one. We all sat at a Thanksgiving table and said, I don't need more. We know what it is to face temptation, and yet we all fall. We're no different than Adam and Eve. You may think you didn't choose this for yourself, but you would have. Our lives are a testimony to that. And so you find, as Paul says in verse 20, the creation is waiting in hope. In hope. Why? Because that's not all that there is. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who suggested it, in hope. And he leans in in verse 21 that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We lean in and we find that the creation is waiting and now it's hoping. It's hoping that it will be set free from bondage, just as you and I hope that we will be set free from bondage. It's waiting and it's hoping that it will attain freedom, just as you and I wait and we hope that we'll attain freedom. Verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. And Paul adds to this argument it's not just creation that's waiting, wailing, and groaning, it's us. And he gives you this vivid picture, as in the pains of childbirth, like a pregnant mother longing to give birth now personally i've never been pregnant i I was once a fetus that was an experience i had and then i was married to a woman who was pregnant three times and i could give you a little glimpse of the fact that that last week sometimes it's a little rough if you're newly married it's rough because women want to give birth they reach that moment of saying get it out why did you do this to me? No, that's, that's a different day and more counseling. <laughs> but the creation cries in that same way. Why? Because it's longing with eager expectation for a second renewal, a birth. And Paul would say, not just the creation, but we ourselves, we wait, we groan We, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, what Paul means when he says that is that we are amongst the first things in creation to experience regeneration. That God has taken us as he regenerated our souls. He's stamped us with the Holy Spirit. He's put a down payment on you. You belong to him. And yet the rest of creation doesn't know that the way you and I do, who know Jesus Christ. The rest of creation longs for that. Longs for all of that to come together together. Paul finishes by saying we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoptions of son, the redemptions of our body. And when we lean into this, we see the already and not yet tension of theology. That we are saved, but we haven't walked into our salvation. That we're set apart, but we're not yet completely his. That we're redeemed, but we haven't walked into full redemption. That we've been set free from slavery. And yet we don't walk in complete freedom. It's this already and not yet tension that the Bible declares about us. And we wait for a time when it reaches its fulfillment. When we know the fullness of salvation. When we experience complete and total and utter wholeness and fullness and completion. And we groan inwardly as we await for it to happen, knowing that now we know in part what we then will know in full. We wait. And he concludes his argument in 24 and 25 by saying, For in this hope we were saved. In this hope that Jesus Christ would come back for us, in this hope that we would be redeemed, in the hope that Jesus' death bought our salvation, but his return will bring the fulfillment of all of it. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees. For if we hope what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we lean into this reality that our hope is still hope. It's not actualized yet. So, we celebrate the verse coming. We celebrate this reality that Jesus Christ came, was born a baby in a manger, that that which all of creation longed for, that 2,000 years of God's people looked toward, happened. That he came as a baby and he died on a cross so that we would know salvation so that the broken relationship we had with our father carried out as the gar- the angels kicked him out of the garden gets repaired and we walk in completion with our father again we wait for it with patience we expect this second advent we wait we wait When the second advent comes, much like a Christmas morning, it'll be far more than you expect. It'll be far more than you wanted. It'll be far more than you hoped for. It'll be bigger than every Christmas memory you can muster up as a child, longing for the time when you'd open your presents. When he comes back, we'll find a knowledge and an understanding, and a fulfillment, and a completeness, and a fullness, and a wholeness that we've all been longing for. So as we enter into this Advent season, we celebrate the first Advent, and we start looking expectantly for the second. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word, that in it we know who you are, That we know your truth. And Father, what your truth declares about us is that while we are a people who still struggle, while we are people who still strive, while we are people who get stuck in our own mire, our own sin, while we still make choices, Father, that belittle what you did at the cross, while we still do things, Father, that thwart even our own salvation, sanctification, and hope, God, you sent your Son to die on a cross for us, to purchase us. And you've sealed us with the Spirit, Father. It was a down payment. And with any down payment, Father, you're coming back to take us because we're yours. So, Father, as we step into Advent, we want to celebrate that you came. And we want to look expectantly for the utter fulfillment we'll have when you come again. Jesus, we love you so much. We are so thankful for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.